It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book Close Encounters of the Worst Kind and the captivating memoir Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine, narcissistic abuse expert. And today is Free Advice Friday, the day of the month that I take your calls and answer your questions about narcissistic abuse, what you're experiencing, or what you would like to share. Um, I do this the second Friday of every month. And if you'd like to call in and share, which I encourage you to do, the number is, and I've been told I say this too fast, so I'm going to say it slow, 424-220-1801. 424-220-1801. So the show is uh, about how to communicate with a narcissist. But I wanted to go off track a little bit before we get started um, because of a personal experience that I want to share. And I've said before that in families where there is a narcissistic parent, there is no cohesiveness to that family. In fact, it's not a family at all because fam- this is not a group of people who support and love each other and have each other's backs and you can count on them at all times. That is not what happens in a family with a narcissistic parent. And everybody is in their own corner trying to survive. Everybody. Um, Because there's very little of whatever that parent has to give to go around. And in my experience, in my great, you know, vast experience, I have seen that only one child rises up out of this. Only one. Only one sibling rises up out of this. And the rest of them, and the reason is because since there's so little going around to share from the narcissistic parent to the children, when one leaves that dysfunction, the others get in closer and they try to take that person, that child, that sibling share. And so they get trapped even deeper. And people often say to me, so I really want to share this with my sister. I really want to share this with my mother. I really want to share it with my non-narcissistic parent because they got to know what they're dealing with. Should I? And my answer is generally no. The reason is because they are not safe. And in your healing, you need to be safe. So when you share what you've learned with your siblings, it is going to go back to that parent or be misinterpreted. You see, the others in your family who have not 
started a healing process or are afraid to even look at it, they are going to resent you. And it may not come out very quickly, but it will. But they will resent you. Um, I'm one of three sisters. I was very close to my sisters for most of my life. And something changed in the last six years or so. Something changed. But throughout the years, I have always been labeled um, cruel, vindictive, narcissistic, and so forth and so on. Because they can't, because I'm the only one that has boundaries, and they don't. And so when I set boundaries with them, they don't like it. And so I get labeled. So even though we have shared, we used to call ourselves the three musketeers because we all talked about the dysfunction in our family. We all talked about, you know, our distaste for our parents and the roles that they played and the things that they did. And we all did that. But somehow, when I rose above it and began doing this work, I became the enemy. So... You know, and I used to write articles about, you know, how to reunite with your siblings and things like that. I was wrong. This is not something that can be done. Okay, I shouldn't say never. I shouldn't say never because I imagine it can be. But I haven't seen it. So I wanted to share that with you. And the culmination of that pain and dysfunction. So I have two sisters. One is five years older and one is seven years older. My sister, who's five years older, died this week. She died of a long, torturous illness, Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. And she lives five hours north of me, so I wasn't with her the whole time. My brother-in-law was her caretaker. But during that time, She pushed me away. She never let me in. And she never forgave me. For what, I don't know. But I don't think she ever forgave me. Because when I asked to see her, I was rejected and told I couldn't. And I wanted to see her. I I was able to say all the things that I wanted to say. I was able to tell her how much I loved her and how much I cared for her and how much I appreciated everything that she ever did for me. And I was able to say those things. And then I wanted to see her. I wanted to be face to face. I was not allowed to. And I was told that no one was allowed to. Well, that has come to, you know, I, I found out that that's a lie. Other people were allowed to. So I was, and so this is a tragedy that, I'm left to deal with as a rejection. Painful, very painful rejection. And so I want to share that with you because I know if you have siblings, if you've grown up in a narcissistic family and you have siblings, you've experienced this pain. But you know what was really weird and I couldn't figure it out until today I never grieved her loss when she died. I couldn't grieve it. 
And what I realized today is I had already done that. I had already grieved the loss of my family, of my sisters. I had already done that, and I couldn't grieve again. So I think it was important for me to share that with you today because I'm sure you can relate to this some way if you've grown up in a family like this. The, the, the word family, the word mother, the word father, these are emotionally charged words that come with expectations. So when we think about it, we think, well, we, you know, I can't, I can't uh, stay away from my family. I can't cut my family out of my life. I can't cut my mother out of my life. I can't cut. But you're thinking about it in terms of the image societal image of what a family is supposed to be, what a mother is supposed to be, what a father is supposed to be, and even what siblings are supposed to be. There is no cohesiveness in a narcissistic family, none. Everybody is trying to survive. Everybody. The narcissist is controlling, and every single person is trying to find a way to survive. And generally, the way that we survive these things in childhood is that we develop what's called maladaptive coping mechanisms. They're maladaptive because they're not healthy for us, but they are healthy when we're children because we don't know how to deal with it. We don't even often know what the oppression is. We, we really don't, but our subconscious takes over and it protects us somehow. This is great, and it works in childhood perfectly. The problem is that when this is how we learn to cope with pain or dysfunction or disappointment or any of these things, we call on our childhood maladaptive coping mechanisms. Do not work in adulthood. So we use them. But they backfire on us. They backfire on us in our relationships. They backfire on us in our interaction with our family. But our adult relationships are really where we're going to see it. Our romantic relationships, our friendships, this is where we're really going to see it. And so when you get to that place where you realize, I I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do this with people, and I keep falling into the same trap. Understand that this is because you don't have the adult coping mechanisms to be able to deal with life. Life is very, very challenging and can be very difficult, and we need to be resilient, but we need to have healthy coping mechanisms. So many of us are pleasers. Some of us are angry. But there's a variety of things, and it's all based on the fact that you were never taught the right way to cope with life. So this is what I'm going through, and I thought it was really, really important to share it with you. I just um, – I did not go to the funeral. It was five hours away, and because it was being taped – and I watched that tape this morning, just about an hour and a half ago. Um, so I'm coming off of that confusion. You know, and, and I also want to say that the day that she died, 
I felt like I was in such a fog. I was so confused about my feelings. My sister just died, but I wasn't feeling her loss as much as I was feeling the pain of the loss I've suffered all along. So that was very confusing for me and very hard to rectify. I do this work not only because I know every in and out of narcissistic abuse, every single facet of it, but I've lived it. And this is why no one can learn how to help people who are going through this if they have not lived it because it is way, way too confusing, way too confusing. You can't make sense out of it. And the confusion keeps you stuck in a loop. We have a caller. Good morning and welcome to A Fine Time for Healing. How are you? Okay. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Would you like, what would you like to share with us okay. today? I'd like to find out from your experience um, just about how many people, what percentage of people in the United States would really have this definitive narcissistic personality disorder. Well, it is said conservatively that maybe 20 to 25% of the population has it. I think it's more 50 and above, in my opinion. The thing is, there's no hard uh, statistics on it because narcissists never report that they're narcissists. They don't get help. They just go from one predatory situation to another. So... There's a lot missing, but in my personal experience, one out of every five people okay. I talk to, right. got it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what kind of signs do you look for in order to find out if the person that you're talking to, not clients, but people that you're talking to um, for your daily experience, might have this particular type of disorder? Okay. There's... One of the things that you'll experience is you will feel very um, uncomfortable around that person. Most people ignore that. They ignore it and they say, this is not right. Why am I feeling this way? This person has charisma and they're wonderful and everybody loves this person. But the first thing that you'll notice is that you will feel uncomfortable. The second thing is that these people are generally very loved. They have a lot of charisma. They may have a lot of friends. Most of them don't have friends, but they are able to woo just about anybody. Behind closed doors with those who they are real with, they will be nasty, abusive, degrading, humiliating. They... Their MO is to capture hostages to feed on, to get their narcissistic supply, because narcissistic supply to a narcissist is like heroin to a junkie. They have to have it constantly. They can't generate any of their own good feelings. So they must have this all the time. So they have to get it. They fish for it very different ways. And one way that they fish for it is that... What is it they, what is it they must have? They must have adoration 
admiration and attention. Okay. Now, these are things that okay. are not necessarily positive. They can be negative. It can be negative attention. If you're telling a narcissist how wonderful he or she is, or you are cussing them out because you're reacting to something they said, it is equally as effective to them. It's ex- equally acceptable to them because it's attention. Okay. The other thing is that they feed on emotions. Right. So you'll find that right. when you engage in a conversation mm-hmm. with this person and they ask you questions, you end up down a rabbit hole and you don't know how you got there. Often at the end of that conversation, you will be blamed for something when the other person was responsible for it. So, you know, it's, it's really why I came up with the topic of how to communicate with one because narcissists try to suck you into a vortex and we get sucked in because mm. often they are pushing buttons that are very sensitive for us. Mm. And we feel like we have to defend ourselves. We are not that person. I am not that person. They, they label us. They call us narcissists. They tell us how cruel we are, how insensitive that we are. They, and they project all that they are onto. I was about to ask if they, um, yeah, if they do, um, if they do what mm-hmm. I do, project, yes. project a projection. Mm-hmm. They okay. project, yeah. uh, before we, Okay. Are you a licensed therapist or just a relationship counselor? Um, I am a narcissistic abuse expert. I am not a licensed therapist. So let me explain something to you because licensed therapists do not understand this at all. They are not trained to believe it. They are not trained to recognize it and they cannot diagnose it because they work off of the diagnostic statistical manual and you can, they can only diagnose within that book. There is descriptions of a person with narcissistic personality disorder. There is no description of the victims, none. So no hmm. licensed. Right. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh my gosh. Yes. Hmm. So li- no licensed mental health professional, unless they have, they are super out of the box thinkers will recognize this. What they do is hmm. they work from the top down. They'll work on the depression. They'll, they'll work on the anxiety. They'll work on the painful relationships you're having. Does not help hmm. because it, you have to, with this work, I work from the core up. I bring it out and up. I don't start with symptoms. I start with the reason. So the work that I do, I could never do if I was licensed. Never. If I was degreed and licensed, it, my license would prohibit me from doing what I do. Um, and I have, yes. And I have therapists who come to me. No kidding. Okay. So you're saying that a, a licensed therapist would somehow be prohibited because of the rules of being a therapist from practicing yes. what you practice? Mm-hmm. And they can only diagnose okay. what, is, what has been approved yeah. to diagnose. And back in the 80s, prior to that, there was no such thing as PTSD, right? Um, that was only added maybe in the last um, you know, 20 or 30 years. But prior to that, that was not recognized. And so people who came with those symptoms were not diagnosed as having post-traumatic stress disorder. 
they were diagnosed with anxiety. They were diagnosed no, with depression. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, until from World until War the, One, World War Two was would be diagnosed with having shell shock, shell shock, mm-hmm. uh, especially with World War One. Right. But okay. Yeah. But they didn't know how to treat mm-hmm. these people, you know, because they didn't okay. understand the complexity of PTSD. So it takes the uh, American Psychiatric Association a very long time to to accept that there is something out there. There's a disorder that they need to include. And this is not one of them. But people who are abused by narcissists have a syndrome that involves many different things. One is complex PTSD, but it is called narcissistic victim syndrome. And if you don't understand all the components that cause that, you're not going to be able to help the person. So most people who come to me have gone to a PhD, therapist, psychiatrist, whatever, and they get worse. They are shamed and they are blamed because that therapist has no idea. And then they come to me and in one session, they're like, oh my gosh, I feel so much better. So, you know, we get hung up on these, you know, degrees and licenses. I'm telling you, uh, I'm sure there are other people out there that do the work I do, but I can tell you that there is nothing I don't know about. And there's nothing I can't help somebody with in regard to this. Okay. So mm-hmm. for me, it's been a lifetime. I have that. I've been going to the best university in the world for a lifetime. <laughs> I've lived it. What the university of hard knocks, the <laughs> university of hard knocks. Absolutely. I've lived it. I've risen above it. And I can relate to every person who comes to me in some way. I've lived it. And this is a very confusing, confusing disorder to have because nothing is as it seems. Everything is counterintuitive. Everything is opposite. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, so it, you can't be trained to do what I do. There's no training that will help right. you. You have to live it. Okay. Any other questions? No, I just wanted to get the answer to that. Um, thanks. You're welcome. Thank you for calling in. Stay, keep, keep listening, okay? Oh, okay. Anyway, if anybody wants to call in, again, the number is 424-220-1801. 424-220-1801. So I told you I was going to talk about how to communicate with a narcissist, and I do want to do that. There are many different situations that you'll get into with a narcissist. Uh, One of them I mentioned to the gentleman that just called, and that is they, when you confront them in any way, shape, or form with something that has hurt you, something they've done, something that's wrong, they will goad you into a conversation in which you will end up becoming guilty. I don't know how they do that. I really don't know how they do that. But it's because as they accuse us of things, we feel the need to explain and redeem ourselves. And then they accuse us. The more we redeem ourselves, the more they accuse us of. And then we get more desperate and we get like, we're, you know, we can't even believe this. We get angry. We get upset. And in the end, guess what the narcissist says? I'm not the crazy one you are. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because what they've done is sucked you into a vortex where you are going to look like the crazy one while they sit and become, sit very peacefully and pepper you with questions that are going to lead you down this road. So when you're talking to a narcissist, do not, do not defend yourself ever. Use statements like, oh, I see, or, hmm, I understand that you feel that way, or, well, it's possible, or maybe, or, you know, something like that, you know, these ambiguous answers where they can't get anywhere. And when you do this and they can't suck you into this conversation, they get crazy. And so, you know, when I say crazy, it disturbs them. It confuses them. They don't know what to do if you don't react the predictable way. And narcissists know because they know us intimately, no matter what the relationship is, they know where every one of your buttons is. And so they know how to trigger you over and over and over again. They'll push one button and then they'll push another and then another and another. And they often convince us that we're wrong, even though they did something horrendous, horrible. So that's the first thing I wanted to share with you is to not engage in conversations with them. If you have identified the person as having narcissistic personality disorder, do not get sucked in and engage in the conversation. It is a dead end and you will end up wondering how things turned around. And I know that you've experienced that. I know you have. We all experience that because this is the way they operate. So this happens a lot in uh, when people are divorcing. And if it's a you know, high-conflict divorce or, or a divorce where there's parental alienation, that person wants to get information out of you, and they're going to use it against you. Often they use um, this email um, site called Family Wizard or um, Talking Parents or something like that where everything you say is recorded, but it's not personal emails. So they say something, you say something, and all of it is evidence in court, every, every bit of it. And what people do is they fall into this trap of defending themselves because the person that they are divorcing wants to make their life a living hell. They want to make it as miserable as possible. And so they, and they want to make you look, they want to put you in the worst light. So they're going to do these things. And people say to me, oh my gosh, it's getting so heated. Every time I, every time they say something, you know, and I'm trying to defend myself and then they say it again. And I don't know how to, how to do this. Less is more. Less is effective because if you communicate with a narcissist the way you would communicate with anybody else it's wrong you can't do it and most of us over talk most of us are that way because we have this you know if we have a background 
of codependency or, you know, childhood emotional abuse or whatever, we end up talking because we, we have to fill in the spaces. Silence is very uncomfortable for us. But learning how to talk less is going to be so much better for you. It will cool down the fire of a situation. So if you are living with a narcissist and there's fighting all the time in the house, especially if there's children around, children should never, ever have to experience that fighting. It changes who they are forever. So what I tell people is cool it down. Another way you can cool it down, and this really, it takes a little while to get to this place, but the other way to cool it down, narcissists want to be adored, admired, appreciated. If you compliment your narcissist, you cool the fire down because they can't resist it. And even if you've just said something horrible to them, if you follow that up with, you know, I admire how people really like you. All of a sudden, everything goes away. Everything goes away. And they're okay. They don't hold on to, gr- to grudges. They don't hold on to anything. You probably have noticed that um, you may ha- have had a knockout, drag down fight with a narcissist, whether it's a family member, a parent, or, uh, you know, a romantic relationship or a a marital relationship or whatever, you can have a knockdown, drag out fight. And the next morning, it's as if nothing happened. Because narcissists feed on emotion. That is what fills them up. I talked about narcissistic supply. So narcissists must have emotional reaction to feed on. They must have it. It doesn't matter if you're saying something good, if you're saying something bad, if you're calling them the, the filthiest names you could think of, the most degrading names you can think of, and labeling them, it doesn't matter because what they've done is solicited that response from you. And you are reacting. They win. They're feeding on it. They do feed on your emotions and your reactions. This is entertaining to them. This is fulfilling to them. So, you know, you might be saying to yourself, if, if, you know, if you're just beginning this journey, you might be saying to yourself, how can someone be like that? How can they be like that? I can't even imagine thinking like that. And you are right if you're thinking that because you can't imagine. The narcissistic brain does not function like a normal brain does. They don't have empathy. They don't have the capacity to love anybody or anything except themselves. And even there, it is a convoluted kind of love because what they truly feel is that they loathe themselves. So this facade, this false self that they carry around for their lifetime is the idea is to block it so they don't have to feel that self-loathing thing. They don't want to go there. And it's why the supply must come 24-7. It has to come every minute of every day. They have to have it. Because if they don't, they go to the self-loathing place that made them become or develop this disorder in the first place. 
and they that is a fate worse than death to a narcissist worse than death they don't want to go there so they must not only will they have you as their supply but they will have satellite supply they will have people on the outside if you're in a relationship with a narcissist um chances are that person is having other relationships and it's not about you it's not done to hurt you it's done because one is not enough for the immense need that they have so often when i say this to people they go oh no 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 he or she is home every day with me i know they call me they text me all day long understand that they find ways they find ways even if it's cheating online they're doing it they are doing it because it is their lifeblood it's like telling a heroin addict to stay off a of heroin for a day or a week or a month or a year or forever they can't do it they go into withdrawal they go into a very bad place so the narcissist goes into that place <clears throat> So another tip in communicating with narcissists is because we don't want to get sucked into the vortex of their conversations. You know, you may find that with a parent or a sibling or something like that, you can call casually and the, the conversation will start off very casually, very mild. They're not triggering anything in you. But the longer you stay on the line, the more is going to come in because they're waiting to drift it into the conversation to the point where when you hang up, you're feeling horrible. Your energy is sucked out of you. So when you're talking to a narcissist that extremely short, less than five minutes or five minutes, no more. And if you happen to stay on longer and it begins to change the minute you, because you can feel it, you feel it change. The minute you feel it change, you say, okay, well, Something came up, I got to go now, and you hang up. And if you do this each time, eventually they realize, well, I'm not going to get supply from this person or this child if I keep doing this. So I'm just going to take what I get. And that is very limited conversation. People think that it's rude to talk this way to other people or, or not talk this way to other people. Yes, it is. Absolutely. When you're dealing with a normal human being, it is absolutely rude to use these tactics. When you're dealing with a narcissist, understand that the narcissist has no respect for you, no love for you. If you leave tomorrow, it's as if you never existed. So they are abusing you all the time. What you're doing when you resort to this kind of communication or lack of communication is you are in survival mode you are trying to protect yourself you are trying to dampen the abuse you're trying to cool down the environment that's what you're doing you are not being rude you are surviving and when you recognize that a person in your life is a narcissist and you can see it so clearly that you can't look away because now you see it. And you see it in other people. You see it everywhere. Um, 
when you realize that, then you begin this healing process. And what you have to do is get away from these people in any way, shape, or form. As I say this, I want to talk about contact, uh, no contact versus limited contact. I never recommend that you start off with no contact with your abuser. Never recommend it because you're not ready to do that. And what happens is if you stop contact with this person, now you can set a boundary and tell them I'm going to be working on myself for the next month and you won't hear from me. That's letting them know that you're kind of dropping off, you know, dropping out of sight for a little while. That's okay. But just disappearing out of their life, you are going to have tremendous guilt feelings over that because you're going to think to yourself, why didn't I say what was, what was bothering me? Why didn't I tell them that they've done this, that, and the other, and that's why I have to leave? People say, should I write a letter? Should I leave a letter? No, 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 no. This is a process in which you have to come to terms with your situation. And in the beginning, limited contact is the way to go. Now, if you are with an abuser that is physically hurting you, this, then you have to get away. But, you know, I think more broadly I'm talking about emotional abuse, emotional narcissistic abuse. Um, you need to come to terms with what you're experiencing. And it's very difficult to do this on your own because it is, it will, you'll be in a massive confusion. You will not be able to separate fact from fiction, fiction, logic from illogic. And it's the minute you do, you'll be back in your confusion. It's very difficult to do this. So, and I experience this every time I have to interact with my family, any time at all, any time. I don't even have to physically interact with them. Anytime something comes up and I am back in the family way, I go into a fog. I go into a confusion. I don't know which end is up. So it still happens to me, still does. But you have to go through, you have to decide that you are ready to let this person go from your life permanently. And that when you do, you know why you've done this and you will have no regrets. And you can't do it backwards. You can't go no contact and then get contact and then do limited contact because what you've done is told them they have control over you. As long as they know they have control over you, they are going to abuse you. So I know this is all very complicated and very confusing. And uh, it's why I said to the gentleman who called that in order to be able to help people through this, one has to have experienced it and healed from it. I continue to experience it, but I've healed from it. I now have the tools. I know what to do when something goes awry. I know what to do when I feel this confusion. I know what to do. I have the tools. And so what I do with people is give them the tools so they can begin to separate this on themselves. I don't want anybody relying on me for their healing, ultimately. I want them to rely on the tools that I teach them so that they're more resilient in life, so that they, when things come up, they can handle them. 
so that they can walk fearlessly in life and know that they know how to protect themselves emotionally, set boundaries. So, you know, all this sounds so difficult, but it is, there is a process. And if you try to take all of this on at once, you will not do well. And even if you feel better for a while, it will come back in. Even if it goes away for two years, it will come back in. And where you'll see it is in your relationships. That is where you'll see it. I have people who have gone through horrendous divorces where the children have been stolen from them. They have been abused in the most horrific way, horrible way, and they are traumatized. And they call me a few years later and tell me about the person they're dating. And the red flags are up all over the place. They choose the same kind of person again. They fall for it again. If you don't complete your healing, that is what happens to you. Your life will be a chain of these disappointments and this abuse and this hurt. So it's very important to heal this from the root up, not from the top down, not from the symptoms down, but from the root up. It sounds so difficult and so complicated, but guess what? It's not. It really is not. And it can happen very fast for you. So I don't want any of you out there to suffer because I'm available and I can help you. I can help you. I can help you to feel so much better than you feel. I can help to separate that confusion, that back and forth. Well, am I really at fault? Really? Did I do something? Oh, I hate him. Oh, but he's so nice and he did this for me. Um, no, but she's, she's the worst. She's the worst. I got to get away. Oh, but you know what? She just called me and she was so nice and she said the most wonderful things. Back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. It's hard to get off of that roller coaster, that Ferris wheel. It goes round and round and round. Um, Would anybody like to call? I have about 15 minutes left to talk to you. And the number is 424-220-1801. Okay. So I talked about total estrangement or no contact, and um, this is about informing the person that you wish to have no contact, informing friends and family that you have severed contact with that person, changing your telephone numbers, and blocking their numbers. Because if you are trying to heal and you keep getting these texts and these emails and these calls, It will set you back. You will not be able to move forward. Um, You don't listen to any voicemails or, or read cards or letters. You can change your email address or block others from accessing it. Get off of social media, off of social media, because what you are putting there, the narcissist is learning from. And, you know, They may go away for a while. Often what they'll do is they'll disappear. You'll say, oh, I guess they got it because I haven't heard from him or her. I haven't heard from him and her in two months. Understand that that is a tactic they use because what they're trying to do 
is throw you off thinking that they're gone, but they're not gone. The reason that they're not gone? Because you are guaranteed supply. They don't throw that out. They won't throw out the supply that they know they can get. So they're going to come back. And in the narcissist's mind, you're coming back because guess what? They own you. They believe they do. You are property and you're coming back. They think so highly of themselves and are so glib about their ability to dupe people that they say, oh, you know, this is a, this is a hissy fit and she or he will be back. If you don't come back, they do. Um, it can, you can go for a year, you can go for two years, and then all of a sudden you hear from this person. They're still checking in to see if they can win you back. So this is, everything about this is confusing. Everything about this is illogical. Um, Let me see what else I wanted to say. Talking about talking to these people. Does anybody have any questions? You can call 424-220-1801. Let me talk about um, let me talk about staying safe because this is something to consider, and this is something that I get asked all the time. Person dangerous. Do I have to be physically afraid of this person? I would say, unless that person has demonstrated that they want to physically hurt you or your children, generally they don't have to do that because their mind is so powerful in their ability to control our minds. I say ours because I could be controlled as well if I allowed it in at all. Um, so if you have any inkling that this person is going to do something physical, if they've threatened something physical, then you are, you could potentially be in danger. Otherwise, you're probably not. Your silence and you're not answering the door if they show up. You're, you know, not answering any of their texts or emails or anything like that, you just go silent. If you do that, generally, you will be okay. Um, If you do suspect that this person is dangerous, then it's important that you prepare ahead of time. Have all your important papers ready to grab, that, that you can take with you on a moment's notice, or leave them, leave things elsewhere where the narcissist doesn't know that they are. Um, Have emergency numbers coded into your phone, programmed into your cell phone. There's so many different, different factors um, about this. So many different things that come up around this kind of abuse. If you, another thing about a telephone call with a narcissist is narcissists don't have any interest in what you have to say. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed they may ask you one question about you and then talk for themselves for the next two hours? They don't care. When you're talking, they're just waiting for their turn to take over the conversation. 
because it's all about them. You know, there are, there are ways to manipulate your manipulator or play the game somewhat. You can't beat a narcissist at his or her game because they're already 10 steps ahead of you at all times. But you can play it so that you make your life easier. If you're talking to a narcissist, if, you, if they call you, and this is, uh, let me just say this first, that if you um, never pick up a phone, pick up the phone when that person calls you, never pick it up, always let it go to uh, voicemail and call back because it needs to be on your terms, not on theirs. Always on your terms, not on theirs. So you don't, and what happens is if you pick up the phone and all of a sudden your abuser's on the other end, you're going to start, your cognitive failure is going to begin. You're going to get confused. You're not going to know what to say. You're not going to know how to handle it. You need to think about it before you call this person. Be prepared. Never get caught off guard. And I have gotten caught off guard, but, and it's not comfortable. Um, but the fastest way to get a narcissist off the phone is to talk about you. Oh, and, this, and she did this, and I'm my next-door neighbor, and you know what they're doing, and they're building on, and, um, and yeah, my kid's teacher, and you just go on and on and on about every single thing you can think of. They're going to hang up so fast because it's not about them, and they don't care about you. They don't care. Understand that um, narcissistic personality disorder develops in childhood and adolescence. By the time the, the, the person is, a, is an adult, it's, it's pretty well formed. And oh, gosh, I just lost my train of thought. That always happens to me. Um, I guess I need to go in a new direction. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> um, does anybody want to call? I still have about 10 minutes. The number is 424-220-1801. We're talking about how to communicate with a narcissist. So let's talk about some of the things that they all say, because there is such thing as, as narc speak. It's a language of their own. None of them communicate with each other, but they all say the same things. And if you've interacted with, acted with a narcissist, you're going to notice that the method of the person's communication is very peculiar. They talk at people, not to them. They go on and on about their lives, what's happening in their lives and their friends and who loves them and who doesn't and there's nothing to believe in that. It's all fluff. Um, so I just want to write something down before I forget it. Okay. Okay. Um, so when a narcissist says, I love you, it means one of three things. They have either heard that. Oh, I know what I was going to say before. Um, this develops when they're young and they spend a lifetime observing people. They know what to say and when to say it. They know how to behave and when to do it. They know how to show affection. They know how to say, I love you. They know how to fake empathy because they are actors like you wouldn't believe. So 
talented are they at this craft? Um, okay, that's what I wanted to say before. So when narcissists say that I love you, it means one of three things. They have heard those words used by others. It seems to be an endearing way to manipulate you into loving them. They feel you're pulling away and want to suck you back in. Or they're saying it because they want you to say it back. When a narcissist says, I never said that, it means they are either trying to manipulate you, throw you off balance and make you feel crazy, or that you caught them in a lie and they don't want to admit that they said what they said. They play the role of the perpetual innocent. When narcissists say, I only do this for your happiness, or I only want you to be happy, it means I only want me to be happy. If that, remains, if that means you remain miserable, so be it. When narcissists say you are too sensitive, it means that you won't tiptoe on eggshells around them like they want you to, or you won't let them assault and abuse you the way they want to. When narcissists say you never do anything for me, it means that whatever you have done for them in the past doesn't count. No brownie points add up. They only want to know what have you done for me in the moment. That's all that counts and nothing else accumulates. When narcissists say you aren't remembering correctly, it means they like their version of the story better than yours because their version portrays them in a, in a better light. Um, when they say, think about what you're doing to your family or to your children or to your parents, it means I want you to feel very guilty about protecting yourself. I want you to feel very guilty about what you're doing to me while you protect yourself. And how dare you? When narcissists say you always bring up the past, it means that they can bring up the past whenever they want to. And they do. They bring up everything you've ever done. But you have no right to call them on anything they ever did. It's really interesting. Um, let's see. Oh, let's talk about the apology. When they say, oh, forgive me, or I apologize if I did anything wrong. It means, how dare you accuse me of doing anything wrong? I never do anything wrong and will never offer you a genuine apology. Though I will make it sound as if I'm apologizing to get you off my back. That is not an apology when a person says, forgive me. Or I apologize if I did anything wrong. Or I apologize if you got hurt. That's not an apology, but it sure can sound like one. Um... When you accuse a narcissist of all they've done to you and they say, what about the things you put me through? It means they're trying to deflect the focus by dredging up your past and reminding you of all the perceived things you did to them. What they're saying to you is that you were far worse to them than they were to you. They're playing victim. If anything, they think they should be confronting you about what you did to them. And this goes back to what I was saying before, how narcissists can make us perpetrators and play the victim. Very, very easy. They're brilliant at doing that. When narcissists say, you've never cared about me, it means you've given them nothing today or in the moment. Um, 
when narcissists say no one will love you as much as I do, it means that they fear losing their supply and believe that they can manipulate you back into continuing to give your all. So the last thing I want to talk about um, as far as communicating with a narcissist is triangulation because they all do this. And this happens in families, especially with siblings. Um, The narcissist will communicate with one. They may be communicating the same idea, the same concept to each person, but they slant it based on what they want from that person or what they think that person can give. And it was very interesting because um, my mother did that to me and my sisters for years and years and years. And we never compared. When we got older and we started to compare, we're like, oh, my gosh, she said that. Well, she told me this. Um, This is meant to pull you apart. This is meant to drive a wedge between you and the other person. Um, Friends will do this. Coworkers will do this. They triangulate to control the flow of information and to make people, put people in whatever light they think they want that person in. And um, it is, this is all crazy making. I mean, listen, there's nothing about this that doesn't drive you crazy. Nothing. So these are just some of the tips uh, that I wanted to share with you today. And I did want to share, I did want to be a little vulnerable with you today and share what I'm going through. But I have to tell you, it helps for me to talk to you. It helps clear up the cobwebs in my mind when I talk to you because this is reality. Everything else is not in regard to a narcissist. So um, I hope that you have gotten some help today. And let me see, my next show is going to be on June... Oh, where is it? Hmm. Okay. It'll be June 11th, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Write down this number. You can call 424-220-1801 if you'd like to call in and talk to me. If not, if you would like to email me your question, you can. I will answer it on air. You can email me at loveyourlife at Randy com Randy, R-A-N-D-I, fine, F-I-N-E, dot com. Love your life at randyfine.com. Just put in the subject line, um, uh, free advice Friday or, you know, question for show or something like that. I will read it. I will answer you on air. So if you can't tune in live and you're listening to rebroadcasts of this or tapings of this, that's the way to get your question answered. I also... Um, I also have an app, a mobile app that you can access where everything I do is on there. Narcissistic Abuse Awareness. You can find it on your mobile app. Um, It's for Android and for Apple, um, for the iOS. My website is randyfine.com. Lots and lots of great articles there. I gave you my email address. My book, Close Encounters of the Worst Kind, The Narcissistic Abuse, Survivor's Guide to Healing and Recovery. If you don't have it, you want to get it. I tell you this based on the feedback I get. Not based on the fact that I wrote it and I'm trying to sell it. I 
people tell me that this is their Bible. So it's now available in paperback for Kindle or electronically. And there's also an audio version of it. And I think the audio version is the best of all, really, because when I listen to it, I get much more out of the book. And I'm like, oh, really? I wrote that? I said that? Um, The other thing I want to share with you real quick is um, my memoir, Cliff Edge Road. (laughs) If you want to know how I got to where I am, how I built up the resilience I did, what I dealt with to get here. This is a great book. And people tell me they can't put it down. They're like, Randy, I blame you. I'm not getting any sleep. I want to, I'm reading this in two days and I'm not sleeping. So Cliff Edge Road, a memoir, uh, is another good book for you to pick up. And I am available to help you. If you go on my website, randyfine.com, and you go to Find Coaching Counseling, there are ways to make appointments with me. I do a free consultation, a free 30-minute consultation, so that you can arrange, you can schedule with me and see for yourself. See if I'm right for you. See if I'm the right fit. See if I can answer the questions that you have. It is, there's, there's no obligation there. You just schedule a consultation and we'll talk for 30 minutes. Um, you know, I guess that's pretty much all I have to say today. Um, I hope that you are all having a wonderful May and that your day is beautiful and that healing is on the horizon for you and that you can expect complete healing when you Know what tools to use. May joy and serenity always be yours. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening.